0: It's Friday, December 21st. Welcome to episode 7 of insert content here. Insert content here. Words intentionally unclear. Rap papadidoo pap bang pano do. Insert content here. Hi, I'm Jeff Eaton, your host for Insert Content here. I'm a senior architect at Lullabot. Uh, today, our guest is Sarah Wachter-Betcher. She's a longtime uh, writer and uh, content strategist. She's an editor at List Apart, and she's also the author of the newly released book, Content Everywhere, which is uh, setting the, uh, it's setting the content strategy world on fire. <laughs> Welcome to the show.
1: Hi Jeff, thank you so much for having me.
0: Now, did did I did I pronounce your name correctly? I just you I, did a very good okay. job. old star. Cool. Oh, thank you.
1: Yes, it's a constant challenge in my life, but uh, <laughs> it is my name, and so it goes.
0: Well, um, I just want to say thanks a lot for joining us. Um, I've I've been reading your book. It's um it's really fantastic. It covers a lot of really great stuff that I know we've been running into at Lullabot, and you know a lot of other companies have been encountering uh before we before we dive right into that though i'm i'm curious um i know you you started from like you know a, the the sort of prototypical you know content strategy background you know writing copy editing editing and and moving into more of the strategy side um and it sounds like it was sort of based on you know pure frustration drove you into the strategy side you know what what was the real tipping point that that um that moved you into you know that the the content strategy side of things
1: well What I think happened to me that happens to lots of people is that, like you mentioned the frustration, like you kept finding the same problems over and over and you feel like you would just be assigned a project too late in the game to do anything about it um and so i'm you know i'm i'm pretty um assertive so one of the things i tend to do is i tend to go figure out where those kinks are happening that are preventing me from being able to do my job or that are making my job really really frustrating and i go try to talk to those people and say okay i'd really like to do this differently and how could we do this differently or sometimes hey wtf and I learned what worked and what didn't in terms of making friends with people outside of my team and getting into the conversations I needed to get into. Um, but I want to say that, that the tipping point, you know, it's hard to say like which project or which exact moment, but the we tipping need it point. to the minute. Well, it was a Tuesday. Um, no, it was, it was very much that, uh, the reason it's hard for me to pinpoint when it was, is because it was the same problem over and over again. So I'm not even sure which instance of it, but where it was like, you guys, I can't just write copy for this website. We don't have any information from the client. The client doesn't know what they wanted to say. I have the sitemap that somebody gave me with all these pages on it, but I can't figure out why half of them are here because nobody can tell me what they're supposed to be about and But we need 3 paragraphs of words right there. Right. But can't you just write 3 paragraphs of words, which of course I Yes. <laughs> yes, I can. And that just became like a less and less satisfying answer for me. And I think that for me, a lot of it was also that I, um, I've always been somebody who's very much thinking in systems and structures and just pretty naturally. I don't know how I ended up Doing writing as, as more of a profession because I was growing up really balanced between math and science and verbal stuff. And so I kind of left that behind for a few years. And I felt like as I started taking on more of the strategy angle, it required me to use some of those skills again. And that felt really good. And so I think that's probably why I stuck with it.
0: That, that makes sense. It's, it's, it's actually funny that you describe that sort of process because talking to a lot of people on the development side, of you know inside of lullabot and at other you know at other similar web shops even on the development side you know the people who start working in, in you know with content strategy and getting more involved in it follow the same sort of path you know they're they're building these websites somebody else off in the distance is doing the content but they keep running into that problem of you know we're being asked to make like a blank hole that content will get poured into and you know are we don't know what it's going to be and we just keep hitting that problem and we need to start talking to those, you know, to the people who are actually producing this and what they're what they're shooting for. And it's interesting to see, like, from every side, it seems like everyone's running into a lot of those same walls.
1: Yeah, you know, I have, I mean, I have some interesting um, experiences working with different development teams. One of the things I've noticed with developers is that I feel like a lot of times, as much as we have a, a, a tech culture that sort of talks about how awesome rockstar developers are in a lot of ways they really get siloed out to the end of these projects and their abilities i think are not always being put to use in times when when we could really use them around to help us make strategic decisions they just get left to the end of this sort of like code monkey role which is not particularly useful um and so i i really think that the more that developers start to be involved in earlier conversations just like getting content people involved in earlier conversations um will really really help bring these things together and stop some of these kind of recurring problems that are happening
0: more conversations earlier
1: yes that's the answer to everything right <laughs> i
0: which i agree really wholeheartedly. <laughs> uh, so so the book content everywhere yes. which i it's it's a uh, it's a both a fun title and, and kind of a, a terrifying title, I think, for some of us <laughs> who, are, who are trying to help projects through, like, just the early <laughs> stages of, like, okay, so what would the world look like if we tried to have a mobile site, you know? Um, but, it, it, well, okay, so first off, I've got a quick question that I realized. The cover of the book, is that, like, weaving or a loom or something like that? Or it, it, it looks like some sort of, it, it's a page? It,
1: Yeah. So um, to me, when I look at it, I obviously I didn't design it because they don't let me design things. But when I look at it, I see uh, content going off the page, right? Content Mm -hmm. that was on a page kind of extending off of the page and extending off into God knows where off the edge of the cover. (laughs) Yep. And I guess that's a lot like what our content is doing. Um, right now right like we make it in web pages we're thinking about it in web pages we see it as web pages but it's actually extending all these different places we might not be seeing that are completely off the page
0: Ah, makes sense i like it so like it it sounds like i mean it sounds like that's the central message that's there for a lot of the book you know for for the people who haven't read it like uh, how would you how would you sum up like what the what the essential need is, what the pro- big problem we're facing that, that the book really
1: addresses. Sure. Well, the big problem, I think, is that we've spent a lot of time putting content online. We've spent a couple of decades putting all of our stuff online. So we have all of this content out there that we've been very much thinking about in terms of pages and documents they are going to live in a certain spot on a website and be looked at in one certain way that looks a lot like the preview button on your CMS looks. And the reality is that Not only is that limiting in terms of thinking about lots of different devices and all the different places your content might go, but it's also just not true because we know people are looking at tons of web content on mobile devices, on different size screens, on screens that are big and little and all kinds of different dimensions. We know that people are saving content for later using all kinds of, you know, read it later apps. We know that people are basically expecting content that's going to be accessible to them wherever and however they want it. That's already happening, but we haven't done a lot of work to figure out what we're going to do about all this crap that we've already put out there. And so that's really what I'm talking about here is I don't, I don't talk about, you know, every aspect of mobile strategy. I don't just talk about mobile. What I talk about is, okay, you've probably got a lot of legacy content. You probably also have a lot of legacy workflows and attitudes about that content. How are you going to kind of systematically go back and break all of those things down and rethink about the way that you're publishing
0: yep now i I think it makes a lot of sense. One of the things that i th- that I think is really interesting is even in projects you know web projects that are starting at least in theory from a complete you know green field you know no legacy content or whatever it's incredibly rare that there aren't a whole lot of assumptions from that you know pure desktop web we're going to make stuff and we're going to put it in pages era that get brought in initially um and i you know e- even without the you know the huge pile of legacy content that most projects are dragging along it seems like that's there there's so much inertia to that way of seeing things
1: yeah and i think that um you know it's not it's not wrong to talk about web pages it's not like that's not a useful metaphor to talk about the web as having pages i mean we, we can still talk about that but i think that people people have used that pretty literally and especially when you start talking to people who are you know maybe executive level people who are stakeholders in a project people who are maybe signing off on budgets on projects i mean you try to talk to them about the ways people might be consuming content and what that actually means for production and workflow they're not going to understand, and it gets super nitty-gritty super quickly. It's mm-hmm. one of the things that I feel like um, you kind can, can't talk about it at a high level without talking about it also also at the close level, and that freaks a lot of people out. And so I think it's going to be a long shifting process to get people there and understanding what needs to happen.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it, there's there's uh, one of the people who's, do, who's doing a, a lot of UX work inside of the Drupal community. Um, he's user advocate on Twitter. I think one of the interesting things that he just said a while back in a presentation that I was watching was that um, we need to start thinking of the page as a unit of business intent rather than a unit of content, and you know that can mean deploying you know displaying content in a lot of ways. But the idea is that a web page isn't our unit of content so much as a place where content can go or be used.
1: Yeah, I think that does make a lot of sense because if you look at a web page on lots and lots of contemporary sites, um, you will find that the content on that page might be from lots of different places, right? You have things that are pulling in from all kinds of different areas and modules of all sorts. And that's that might be called a web page. And then we'd also call there's like a static kind of, you know, one big block WYSIWYG edited text. We'd also call that a web page. But those are very different things and we don't really have different terminology or ways of thinking about them Mm -hmm. uh, we probably should
0: yeah that that's interesting i I know like sort of the rise of like you know portal sites and stuff like that gave people some different words around it but there isn't there hasn't really been any kind of terminology around a page that someone goes to to read a thing but isn't just a giant dumping ground for text so hmm. so one of the one of the things that i've been really interested in you know with with all of the discussions that are going on around um Around you know like multi you know multi-channel publishing and all this stuff like what's what's the cutoff point for this like wh- when does it when does it not make sense I just want to write some things and put them on my company's webpage you know I'm not CNN I'm not Martha Stewart like I I, I just want to type stuff into a box maybe maybe paste it from Word and hit save.
1: <laughs> oh, don't paste it from Word. <laughs> Just please don't paste it from Word. That, that's all you do. Just don't do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I I think that when you start looking at all the stuff that I talk about in this book and you just run kind of a smaller website or you think of what you're doing on your website as being relatively simple, it can just be like, really, do I have to do all of that? Do I really have to think about all of that stuff? That is a lot of stuff. And so, no, you not necessarily. I mean, I think that there is – I think there's some value in – in saying okay you don't have to do everything at once and this doesn't mean you have to throw out everything you've always done but you probably already have users who are having a hard time with your website as it is right now and if you could invest some time into rethinking what you're doing and how you're publishing if you could invest some time into you know um, chunking up your content into pieces that would make it easier to do something with later that's probably going to be a good investment, even if you don't know what all of those layers look like. So mm-hmm. even if you're just getting your content a little bit more structured now, getting it into a database where it's stored a little bit cleaner now, then that just opens up opportunities in the future for what you might be able to do with it.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's actually one of the themes that seems to run through the book that I really like the the um, sort of a, a tug of war between like, the, the easy right now flexibility that, you know, that I think a lot of people have gotten used to of just being able to dump stuff into a big giant text area that will fill the page and the long term flexibility that comes from investing even in even in some minimal structure that will allow you to reuse things more effectively. It, it's it's sort of like the the flexibility right now versus the flexibility down the road when I when, you know, after after I've invested in building all of this stuff.
1: Right. And and it's also flexibility for you as the person who is putting the content in and then flexibility for users, people who are trying to use the content that's coming out the other side. And you have to balance both of those things. Both of those things are important. You know, I know that a lot of these conversations start getting into content management systems and I don't pretend to be a content management expert. I don't come from a CMS background, but I've certainly worked with CMSs lots of times. And I've also felt Pretty frustrated by CMSs a lot of times. That's because
0: they're all terrible.
1: Because they're all they're all terrible. Yes. No, I well, I think that, that CMSs tend to have a lot of problems. And you know, Karen McGrain obviously has talked about this a lot when she talks about you know content management systems being the software that UX forgot, um, the stuff that we haven't really invested our time into making work better. I mean, seriously, there is no reason that our that our CMSs Do not provide a better experience for authors, except that we haven't bothered to try. Because we've figured out how to do a lot of great UX work, and we just haven't applied it there. Yep. So I think that that's going to be a huge thing to tackle. But I will say this. I'm not going to be the person who's going to fix content management system. But if content people don't start asking for better tools don't start understanding specifically what it is about the tools they have that are problematic nobody's going to make them better cms's
0: interesting i it, again it's one of those things where i you know i'm i'm, I'm often used to approaching it from from a uh, development you know side um and it i think that may come down to the whole siloing problem that you were mentioning you know, so often you know, development and content teams are in silos and perhaps, you know, if there's a design team, maybe they're the only one that ends up talking to both of them, you know, at some point. Um, and, and it feels like even those even those requests of, you know, hey, these, these tools just aren't going to work for us, you know, th- this doesn't match our workflow or this is, you know, this is going to be painful because of the, you know, particular kinds of tasks we have to do day in and day out it It's when they're that when that siloing is there, it's like those conversations it they don't happen organically, and it really takes from one side or another or both you know a deliberate effort to cross that gap
1: and a lot of times it seems that even when those conversations do happen, they end up just being kind of bitching as opposed to productive conversations about why it is that they need some something different in the tool, what it is that's causing them problems. And again, I mean, I really think that if content people are only used to thinking about documents and pages and just want to paste something in from Microsoft Word into a big box and hit save, and they don't want to think about it beyond then, they're going to keep having problems. Like they're never going to have good conversations with people who could actually help them make their content better and make their working life better unless they get more... Skilled in thinking about their content and are able to come to the table with a lot more.
0: Yeah, it's it's there, there's sort of a you know the the complexity of trying to make WYSIWYG editors smarter and smarter and smarter about those things. It feels like a diminishing returns kind of thing. the, the yeah. amount of the amount of energy that has to be invested in making the world's smartest WYSIWYG editor can't beat an editor who just looks at a looks at a you know looks at a CMS and says, oh okay, I need to write a good subhead for this and knows that's what they're doing versus, you know, playing desktop publishing inside of a giant WYSIWYG field.
1: Right. Exactly. And I think, you know, people are scared of having these CMS interfaces with endless form fields. And there's probably a variety of different approaches to try to mitigate that. Um, But I think that the the answer is going to have to be that, you know, all sides have to give a little, right? Like mm-hmm. we have to think about these interfaces as something that humans have to use, have to make sense for them. What? I, what? That's where your content comes from, typically from humans. Um, and if it's not coming from humans, it's probably garbage in the first place to so just yeah. close us now. Um, but I, I do think, I mean, you have to, you have to have content people who want to understand how systems operate a little bit more and who want to produce content that's going to fit into the system and you have to have people designing systems who care about those content people and mm-hmm. you have to have a lot of conversations and then you have to actually do something.
0: It, yeah, yeah. no, no, it's, it's a lot of moving pieces but I think you know, o- opening those lines of communication is a, is a really good first step. And uh, <laughs> uh, so, one of the things that I think is really interesting is, like, even over the past, like, year or so, it seems like a lot of thinking and conversation about this, you know, multi-channel publishing and structured content has been evolving pretty rapidly. Um, was it? I mean, was it difficult trying to actually, like, document and, and and write this stuff while a lot of those conversations were going on?
1: Definitely. And I think also because... On the one hand, people have been talking about structured content for a long time. That's not necessarily a new thing, right? You get people out of like technical communications a lot of times who've been talking about really valuable structured content things for years and years, but you had a lot of that not really being adopted in the web community, some of that not really being relevant to the web community. Um, You also had... A lot of that stuff happening in these really sort of techie conversations that weren't resonating with others. So there was all this stuff that already existed that I wanted to make sure I wasn't sort of like stamping on the toes of. Plus this evolving conversation that was moving really fast. And suddenly tons and tons of people I would talk to were really interested in what the hell they were going to do with their content because mobile just kind of came and steamrolled them and they didn't know what to do. And I, I was very worried about being like, "Oh, do I really know enough about this to do this thing?" But what I decided was that I don't have a lot all the answers. I talk to a lot of smart people writing the book. You are one of them. And when I talked to people writing the, about writing the book, it helped me focus in on what I think really needed to get out there and try to put something together that is not going to answer everybody's questions, but is going to get a lot of people thinking about the tough questions that they'll need to answer for themselves.
0: Yeah, that, that that makes sense. I mean, it—that's it, one of the things that we've seen a lot. It's—it's it's not that there are any you know single magical, perfectly correct answers for a lot of these questions. It's getting people to the point where they can start working through some of the questions and finding the finding the answers that are appropriate for the projects and the organizations that they're working with.
1: Well, exactly. I mean, I think that um, one of the things that I have been a little bit critical of with people who've talked about structured content in the past, not everybody, but something I've seen happen a lot, is people tend to come at it from a technology angle first. So it's like what structured content technology they're going to use. And I just, I tend to find that really limiting, um, both because that to me seems secondary to figuring out what you're trying to accomplish and what your content needs to be communicating and to whom and starting there. And also because I think that that shuts a lot of people out of the conversation who should be in the conversation because it makes it it reduces it to sort of like an IT purchasing decision Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to something that's core to how an organization operates.
0: Yeah, no, I I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's um, I remember just, Almost two years ago, you know, Karen and I, Karen McGrain and I were, you know, prepping for a, a presentation about some of the mobile issues. And it, it took deliberate work to try to, you know, articulate the importance of some of those technology issues, but also make it clear that ultimately the, you know, which acronym you roll with doesn't matter quite as much as figuring out how you're going to approach the structuring question, you know, at, at, a, at a strategic level.
1: It's not that the technology isn't important or that, like, those are not important decisions. And I definitely don't want to sound like that's what I mean. But that when that's the only conversation you're
0: having. Right. Yeah. It it is very, very limiting.
1: It is. And I think that, you know, it's going to solve some problems and then it's going to create new ones. Um, And your content people are going to be just as siloed as they ever were and still be confused about how the hell they're supposed to use this thing.
0: But now we're using an SGML dialect. How could it go wrong?
1: But, right. Sure.
0: Um, one of the things that I think is interesting is that, um, it, it's one of the first books on, um, content strategy that I've seen, that I've seen in a while that, um, that actually dedicates a, a good chunk of, of, of space to talking about like API style approaches to content and, and like the rise of content APIs. Um, and you know, for, you know, for those of us from a development background, that's a, you know, that's a familiar sort of, it's a familiar kind of dialogue. Um, is that something that seems like is actually happening more and more frequently? Is it, you know, it feels like we're just sort of on the cusp of, of a real shift towards that, but then I could be skewed because I, I'm a nerd, you know, I, I, I want APIs everywhere.
1: Well, I think that a lot of APIs are happening in organizations as private APIs, right? So we don't necessarily know all these APIs that people are using to do all kinds of different things, but we know that a lot of organizations are, are are using APIs for all kinds of stuff. I think one of the problems um, right now is that for the most part, this is a conversation that the content crowd has not been in. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like, just like the conversation about, you know, what technology to use for structured content. Um, Those are decisions that are getting made with like developers or a lot of times people who are, who are really, pro API or people who are working in startups, which tend to be really engineering led. Mm-hmm. And and that's great. I mean, that's not, it's not that they're doing anything wrong, but I think that a lot, of, a lot of work with APIs and sort of like the possibilities of APIs of being able to pull content from here and combine it with content from there, being able to push different sets of content, in different places, all of those capabilities, I think you'd end up with better products coming out the other end. If you had somebody there who was really a, you know, an advocate for and a shepherd for content through that process. So mm-hmm. what are the ways in which we might be able to use this to enhance meaning? What are the ways in which this content could be better communicated? What are the d- editorial decisions that need to come out of this? If that person was sort of along for the ride, I think you'd end up with better results in APIs. But, but that problem is, is, goes two ways. I mean, I think it's both that, like, people who are right now working on APIs aren't thinking that they should be talking to content people, and content people aren't thinking that that's part of their job.
0: Again, it all comes up to this like matchmaking between the disparate crowds thing. It's, it's important. It all
1: sounds very kumbaya, <laughs> um, and, it, and in a sense, it is right. Like I think collaboration is is really critical. But I also want to point out that I think it's it's also one of the only ways to get what you want in a, like in a very selfish way. If you don't kind of scoot up and say, "Okay, this is part of my job now. I'm going to figure this out." And I'm going to be part of this conversation and I'm going to contribute to what they're doing over there, even though I don't fully understand it yet. What you're going to find, speaking as a content person, what you will find is that you will continue to have your content that you thought was so lovely and beautiful and you spent so much time getting the messaging just right, you will continue to have that content be stuck in one place and the content that can travel, which is probably shittier because you didn't work on it. Is going to be the content that's going to get out to all the different places. So it's, it's in a self sense, it's like what's going to allow the stuff that you you've spent so much time working on to actually make its way everywhere that users need it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's been interesting watching like um, a lot of the really really intensely popular social sharing sites and the stuff that's taken off, like you know between Instapaper and for for organizations that have more visual content, you know, Pinterest has been you know a, a big um a big shake up point it it seems like one of the reasons that it, it's so important to prepare for these kinds of things before they happen is we can never actually see the crazy next thing coming
1: right and it's also not just crazy next thing it's crazy next things right i mean it's constant yeah, right. of different stuff and trying to say okay now we're going to go after pinterest we're going to make our content pinterest ready it's like well okay that's good for now, and then, and then, and then. And it's it's a never ending battle that way, and it's something where you will find yourself very quickly exhausted.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of I uh, had a big old Alaskan Malamute, and he was very fond of chasing squirrels, but he, there were always more than one squirrel in the yard, and it meant he was always very, very confused, very stressed out. Lots of squirrels to chase, but he never ended up catching any.
1: <laughs> he, he just ran in circles after all of the squirrels.
0: <laughs> yep. Oh, uh, no. uh it's always fun to make it's fun of dogs, but <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it this this whole concept of uh, of multidisciplinary stuff just seems to keep coming up. Well, not necessarily even multidisciplinary, but the idea of like teams having to you know collaborate across those kinds of boundaries to really to really make this stuff effective. Does it seem like you know? Well, the organizations that you've talked to, especially, you know, wh- whether it's your own projects or the course of working on this book, does it seem like that's um, that that's a realization that more and more organizations are having? Or is it still sort of, you know, going out there and you're, you're the circuit preacher trying to convince people that this is needed?
1: Um, A little of both. I think it depends on the organization. Some organizations, it's occurred to them that the way that they've siloed themselves off is a problem. Um, some organizations, I find that like the people who have called me know that they've <laughs> got a problem that and that the problem's deeper than just like the content. Um, but some of them, some of them really aren't ready for that yet. And you know, I've talked to a lot of people who work in the kind of consulting or agency stuff, and it burns them out to feel like every time they go talk to a new client, that new client just doesn't get that like their real problem is more than skin deep that their real problem requires some organizational change. I've decided to not get discouraged by that because I feel like uh, there's a lot of nudging that needs to happen with organizations. There's a lot of baby steps that need to happen and just to call baby steps a win. So yeah, I I can go in and say, okay, um, I see some, you know, I see some of these things you're doing right now. I see why you called me. You have this problem with messaging or editorial concerns or whatever. You know, let's talk. Let's let's kind of like push. Let's push on these things until you get a little bit uncomfortable, <laughs> and, and we'll see how far that is. And then, you it's know, like, I, it's like
0: weightlifting. You know, you you go just up to that edge, and then you call it a win.
1: Yeah, and you just you know you don't you don't try to double your max um, one day. It's just a little at a time, and it should hurt a little bit. But if it hurts too much, you've got a problem. I mean, organizations can't big organizations, especially an organizations with a lot of history, they cannot handle switching everything overnight. You know, one of the things um, recently I was at the, the content strategy forum in South Africa and um, Luke Wroblewski was there and he gave a talk and he was talking about um, the read, write web and content that is pretty much all API driven in his view and kind of um, lots of interchange between users and, and the, um, the products that they're using and one of the things that he very much saw as an assumption was that you would just structure your data and you would just have it in this API form. And I, I, yes, in a lot of ways, I'm like, well, yeah, obviously that makes a lot of sense. But that makes a lot of sense to him and, and to us because that's sort of a world in which we're very comfortable, but that's a big change for a lot of organizations mm-hmm. and that. That's something that they don't necessarily realize. Like He doesn't see that as a strategic consideration. He just sees that as the right way to do things. Whereas I think for a lot of organizations, in order for them to do that, that would take a strategic change.
0: Mm-hmm. There would have um, to be some high-level buy-in that this is a particular direction we want to move in, and this is a step that supports that, not just, oh, well, we're going to do it the right way now.
1: Exactly. Well, and they have to understand what makes that the right way for them, and and that does come down to – you know, business strategy and vision and direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I don't expect to go in and change everything all at once. But I think that when you make people a little bit uncomfortable and you kind of force them to do some self-evaluation, um, you sometimes it's 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 harder, right? It might be harder for me. Like I could maybe go in and have an easier job and make more money if I didn't do that because I could just do the thing they wanted. <laughs> Um,
0: But it would be less satisfying.
1: It's much less satisfying. I like double.
0: No, it's interesting because it feels like, you know, one of the organizations that recently has gone through like a real 180 shift um, around. I'm not sure whether they're really using a heavy API emphasis internally or not. But I know that the Atlantic um, has really, really just really turned around how they approach a lot of digital and multi-channel stuff. But that was, you know, a significant, painful, you know, transition point in, you know, internally. It wasn't something that just, you know, happened for free and, and, and it wasn't just this easy switch that they flipped. It was, it was a real, um, it was a real transformation internally and it, it wasn't painless by any means.
1: Right. And I mean, you know, I talked to folks at NPR when I was working on the book and NPR gets touted a lot as they have this, you know, this API and it allows all of their content to go everywhere and this create once, publish everywhere model. And what you see a lot of in presentations is like this big diagram of technical infrastructure. Um and when I started talking to people there, I talked to people who actually work on the CMS and work with editorial teams. And, of course, all of that technical stuff is very important. But what we talked about was people mm-hmm. and how they were using the CMS and what their expectations were when they published a story and ways that they saw that, what their job was. Like the way that people who are writers and editors at NPR saw their job versus what we needed them to see their job as in order to make this thing possible and how that conversation changed internally and how their roles then changed. I mean, that was the bulk of the conversation I had with them. Yeah. It wasn't just about, you know, okay, so we've got this API and that requires that we have this, you know, flattened data structure here. I mean, like that stuff very much relies on having good content inputs.
0: Yeah. No, it's interesting that you mentioned like how people see their roles because, you know, that's always such an important part of like, you know, building out CMSs. We know what are the different user roles and stuff like that. And I wonder how many of those, how many of those projects get to that point without really asking the people who are ostensibly in those roles, like how do you see what you're doing? Is this a role that you actually think of yourself as?
1: Exactly. Like, one one question I remember that they talked to me about was um, – one of the questions they asked was, um, okay, well, when does metadata happen and who checks that? And and having editors check metadata was a, a very new and different thing for those editors and how are we going to deal with that? And is that – they have to understand what they're checking for and they have to feel like this isn't just, oh, God, one more thing I have to do. And so, you know, those are those are very real concerns because I don't care what system you build. Like, people still have to use it, and if those people choose to not fill things out or fill things out incorrectly or not really pay attention, the entire system breaks down. So, you want to try to make it s- as simple as possible for them and also make it just feel like something that's enhancing their ability to do their job and not either getting in the way or making them do extra things
0: mm-hmm.
1: as much as possible.
0: It's building support tools for humans, not training humans to keep a machine running.
1: Right. Interesting. You know what I reading an article um, and, and I cannot remember where it was now but um, oh actually I do remember where it was it's for a list apart and it's not out yet so it's something we're publishing soon You uh. know we've got we've got an author um, who's talking about that a lot of developers are very much trained to look at what they're building though as like it's they're building a system they're building this machine and it's the humans getting in the way of it mm-hmm. and that that sense a lot of times and from a development perspective but you have to be able to shift back to the other direction that it, it ultimately has to serve people first um, anyway it's going to be a great read when that comes out but I
0: no, I'm definitely looking forward to it
1: probably should have pointed to an article that exists like <laughs> on the internet today
0: well it, it's a great teaser just you know before before we wrap up I'm, I'm curious like over the next say year or two for, for organizations that they're starting to think about, you know, taking this switch really seriously. And for the for the people inside of those organizations that are trying to push towards a, a more flexible approach to content reuse and stuff like that. What what do you think the biggest challenges are just just in that kind of time period?
1: I think the big challenge is going to be the tension between wanting to have a solution for X right now. So wanting to have a solution for mobile right now, we need to have a mobile site app response of something up tomorrow. And, and the kind of like deep underlying problems that, that they have that that solution is not going to fix because a lot of organizations are starting to, I think to get a lot of pressure to do something about, especially about mobile, lots of pressure to do something about it. And so a lot of times they're acting very reactively um, because they've got pressure from the CEO that, you know, well, I need to be able to look at this on my iPad or whatever. And um, and what what happens is that then they lose that budget to do the thing that they could have actually solved some real problems with, and then they don't have any time to go back and deal with their real problems. So I think it's trying to balance those tensions and figuring out What can we do as a quick win that will help us in the future versus what's just like a one-off thing that's not going to benefit us long-term? What can we do that that will be visible to whoever it is that's writing the checks to make sure that they can buy off on this approach? Um, So there's a lot of, I think, balancing acts and and kind of, um, you know, trying to do some short-term stuff while also doing long-term planning. And that's what's probably going to be pretty hard for people.
0: Definitely makes sense. Well, thank you very much. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, so it, so where should, where should people go if they want to read more?
1: So you can find me at sarawb.com That's S-A-R-A-W-B. And you can also go to rosenfeldmedia.com and buy the book. Um, it's also on Amazon. Just look for content everywhere. And um, I think that's about it. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff.
0: Absolutely. It was a pleasure. And uh, have a great day.